Good afternoon and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support. The speaker and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interest. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. If you are viewing online, the evaluation link will be listed in the link icon at the bottom of the screen. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Philip Gross, who is our academic hospitalist, and he is also doc, uh, mentoring Dr. Balaguli. Dr. Gross? Okay, uh, today we have an aspiring hospitalist uh, presenting to us on a very important topic in hospital internal medicine, which is hypertension and the implications patient management of hypertension. Uh, Vidya Balaguli is uh, set to begin a nocturnist position uh, following completion of her residency. Um, and uh, she's been very active in scholarly activities and publishing, and I think she has a very bright future ahead of her. So I'm, I'm glad she's uh, presenting on this topic, and um, hopefully you'll learn something today and uh, influence your own practice. Dr. Gross. So, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Grand Rounds today. My topic for today is inpatient hypertension to treat or not to treat. So, inpatient hypertension is something that we come across every day in our practice. So, it's very important we know what to do when we come across such situations. So, starting with the disclosures, I have no financial disclosures to make. My objectives for today include to be able to identify the most recent literature on inpatient hypertension, analyze the evidence for treating inpatient hypertension, distinguish need to intensify outpatient antihypertensives while inpatient, describe interventions residents can implement to reduce the use of PRN antihypertensive agents. So this is my outline for today, starting with the clinical scenario. So here we have a 67-year-old man hospitalized with community-acquired pneumonia. He has a history of hypertension and is prescribed two antihypertensive medications, that is amlodipine and clothalidone, as outpatient. On the evening of hospital day two, he is found to have a blood pressure of 192 over 95 on a scheduled vital signs check. He reports no symptoms other than cough, which is not new or worsening. The covering hospitalist reviews the documented blood pressure since admission and notes that many have been elevated despite continuation of his home regimen. The patient's nurse asks him about treating the patient with additional as-needed antihypertensive medications. So what is your next step here? The options here include A, continue current regimen with no adjustments, give IV medications, give oral medications, or start ice bath. So what do you all think? I can go back to the question if you all need to go over it. You want to go with A, continue current regimen? Okay, yes, that's the right answer. We'll go over why that's the right answer in the following slides. So in 2018, there were almost 36.4 million hospitalization in the United States. 
In this setting, the prevalence of hypertension is estimated to be 50 to 72 percent. Despite the high prevalence of hypertension among medical inpatients, we do not have proper guidelines for this population. So according to the ACC, normal blood pressure Normal blood pressure is less than 120 systolic and diastolic less than 80. Elevated blood pressure is 120 to 129 with diastolic less than 80. Stage 1 hypertension is 130 to 139 with diastolic 80 to 89. And stage 2 hypertension is 140 systolic and at least 90 diastolic. So we have here the SPRINT trial published in 2016 in NEGM. This was one of the groundbreaking trials that we all know about because, and it also helped inform the 2017 AHA and ACC high blood pressure guidelines. So this was a two-hour multi-centered con randomized control trial. They had two target groups, basically. The one group, they targeted with a blood pressure less than 120, and the other group, the target was blood pressure less than 140, and they wanted to see the outcomes between these two target groups. So they found that the group that had less than 120 systolic target. Uh, they had reduced cardiovascular events by 25% and reduced the overall risk of death by 27%. So continuing with the definition of hypertension, as discussed according to the ACC and EHA, in the clinic setting, the blood pressure needs to be more than 130 over 80. According to the ESC, that is the European Society of Cardiology, in the clinic setting, blood pressure needs to be more than 140 over 90 to be considered as hypertension. We also have specific guidelines for home blood pressure monitoring, daytime, nighttime, and 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. So it's very important for us to know what's the accurate weight, the standard method to check for blood pressure. So we need at least three measurements performed on at least two separate ambulatory visits. Blood pressure may be taken in either arm after a period of sufficient rest in a seated position with the back and feet supported. The arm should be supported at the level of the heart. Next, coming to hypertensive crisis. So we are familiar with the terms hypertensive urgency and hypertensive emergency. Coming to hypertensive urgency, this is a severe elevation in blood pressure without changes in end organ function. Often this can be considered a blood pressure of more than 180 over 110 and symptoms may or may not include headache or anxiety. Marked elevation in blood pressure that is associated with end organ function, end organ dysfunction is hypertensive emergency. So some of the examples for this include hypertensive encephalopathy, intracranial hemorrhage or infarction, acute pulmonary edema, unstable angina, dissecting aortic aneurysm and eclampsia. Usually, blood pressure readings in this setting can be as high as more than 220 over 140. Coming to common causes of hypertension in inpatient setting, this could be pain, anxiety, urinary retention, acute distress, antihypertensive withdrawal, alcohol or narcotic withdrawal, perioperative period, poorly controlled or undiagnosed pre-existing hypertension, hypovolemia or inverted use of sodium-containing IV fluids, medications included but not limited to erythropoietin, steroids, cyclosporin, sympathomimetics. So the use of this PRN orders, which is in our hospital admissions uh, order set, this usually discourages the evaluation of any underlying cause of elevated blood pressure reading and the use of...
some of the well-known trials. We'll be going over a few of the previous trials, and then we'll come to the main article of topic today. Setting. The use of IV labetalol and hydralazine published in 2010 in the Journal of Clinical Hypertension. This was a retrospective study done over a one-year period. So we can see the a number of uh, drugs that were ordered for hydralazine and labetalol. And the ordered drugs were administered in almost 60.3% of the patients. So th this study compared the total length of stay for the patients that received the medication versus the patients who had high blood pressure but did not receive the medications. So the, uh, they found that the hospital length of stay was more for patients who received at least one PRN antihypertensive versus the ones who did not receive any treatment. As we can see down there, on, for hydralazine was almost 12 days versus the 7.1 days for those who did not receive treatment, and for labetalol almost 11.8 days versus the 7.9 for the ones who did not receive any treatment. So next, coming to as-needed IV antihypertensive therapy and blood pressure control, published in 2016 in the Journal of Hospital Medicine. So this was a retrospective study done over a three-month period. Here, they also found the most commonly used drugs were again hydralazine and labetalol. Almost one-third of them experienced blood, blood pressure reduction of more than 25% in six-hour period. As we can see, like hydralazine, there was almost 17 millimeters for labetalol, almost 12 millimeters mercury decrease in systolic blood pressure. This tells us that using IV blood pressure medication has also of overcorrection. So in conclusion, this study showed that implementing hospital and health system-based policies, limiting use of episodic IV antihypertensives in asymptomatic uncontrolled blood pressure in non-critical settings in the absence of any new or worsening target organ injury is very important. The UI project published in 2019 in, again, Journal of Hospital Medicine. So here, basically, their initiative was to reduce unnecessary treatment of patients Journal Medicine wards. So this was a two-tired retrospective study done over a 14-month period. So the study found that pre-intervention, almost 11% received IV antihypertensives, and post-intervention, 7% received IV antihypertensives. So the odds of being treated was 38% lower post-intervention. They also found that the median systolic blood pressure was similar between the pre and the post-intervention with no change in ICU transfers or having any rapid response codes. So this QI initiative was successful at reducing utilization of these medications. Next we have here a retrospective study characteristics and outcomes of patients presenting with hypertensive urgency in the outpatient setting. This was published in 2016 in JAMA. So here they found that all the patients that were sent from the outpatient for elevated blood pressure to the ER for hypertensive urgency were associated with almost 8.2% of hospital admissions. But the hospitalization subsequently found that there was no major cardiovascular events after and two-thirds of the patients had controlled hypertension at six-month period, suggesting that it is important that we try to treat the medications by adjusting the medications outpatient instead of sending them to the ER if they just have hypertensive urgency.
So basically this slide is summarizing the four articles that we just went over. So we know that there's no current guidelines for inpatient blood pressure management. IV antihypertensives has shown no mortality benefit for asymptomatic blood pressure elevation. Risk of hypotension with IV antihypertensives with rapidity of effect and variability in efficacy is always there. Asymptomatic hypertensive urgency in outpatient setting, effort should always be made to follow up and serial blood pressure control instead of referral to the hospital. which is one of the practice changing articles. We have here the treatment and outcomes of inpatient hypertension among adults with non-cardiac admissions published in 2021 in JAMA. A retrospective cohort study they obtained it after a consent waiver since it had minimal risks. They used the demographic and blood pressure characteristics for propensity matching. A systolic blood pressure of at least 140 was used to define hypertension. The inclusion criteria included all adults admitted to medicine service in 2017. The exclusion criteria in, uh, they excluded all the patients that were pregnant, had an admission diagnosis of cardiovascular or a CVA in the past 30 days or ACS because all of these have well-defined blood pressure guidelines. They also excluded patients that had length of stay less than two days or more than 14 days. For patients who had multiple admissions, they used one single random admission. And patients who had no outpatient medication data were also excluded. So they almost found that there were close to 18,000 adults experiencing inpatient blood pressure with more than 140 systolic while hospitalized. The propensity score matched analysis of inpatient outcomes including AKI, troponin elevation, or stroke occurring after the highest blood pressure which was, which was treated versus not treated was taken into consideration. They defined the single index BP for treated patients as the highest treated blood pressure and for untreated patients as the highest blood pressure during admission that was not treated. So this model accounted for demographics, comorbidities, and index blood pressure characteristics including interval of measurement, hospitalist shift, time since admission, and change from the prior systolic blood pressure. They almost had 4,500 patients in each arm, hence it was a very well-balanced study. Among adults admitted for non-cardiovascular diagnosis, 78% had at least one elevated blood pressure reading. 33 percent were on or IV blood pressure medications that did not include loop diuretics among all the patients, whereas 8.5% received IV antihypertensives among all the elevated blood pressure readings. The treated patients were at higher cardiovascular risk that included older and more likely to be black and had higher blood pressure. Here we have a table of inpatient outcomes by treatment status. So they found that following treatment, patients were more likely than the matched cohorts to experience AKI. As we can see there with the blue marks of 10.3 for treated versus 7.9 for not treated for AKI. And for MI, 1.2% for treated versus 0.6 for not treated. Next here we have the composite outcomes for AKI, troponin elevation or strokes occurring after highest blood pressure. So we see that none of them are crossing the midline of one. 
So suggesting that there was no benefit but possible harm from inpatient blood pressure treatment. Findings consistent across all blood pressure levels and route of medication. Next we have here the table which is outcomes, outpatient cardiovascular outcomes and blood pressure characteristics of patients with hypertension by antihypertensive had similar rates of MI and stroke. Medication intensification at discharge was not associated with blood pressure control in the following year. Associated harms were similar for oral and IV treatments and it occurred across all the blood pressure intervals. There was no group of patients that had better outcomes with treatment. Most patients who were treated were not discharged with intensification. So this is kind of surprising because, you know, this is not what has usually been seen. So the lower rates of treatment observed here may reflect the newer evidence that we're starting to see now with the newer studies that we have regarding hypertensive urgency, that it's better treated in the ambulatory setting and we are able to appreciate the blood pressure liability during acute illness and the growing recognition of potential harms associated with the IV treatment. And the lack of harms among untreated patients appears to support this conservative approach. The patients discharged home with intensification also did not experience any blood pressure control in the following year. So conditions surrounding the hospitalization do not represent ambulatory blood pressure control. Hence, it's very important because intensification at discharge may be associated with harm. Own limitations. So, one with the re related conditions. That is, the 10% of the cohort had AFib and exposures for problems other than the blood pressure. The next limitation was the residual confounding. This was not a randomized control trial. This was the cohort study, but they did try to do their best with the propensity matching. But biases, measurement error, and potential confounding is always present for cohort studies. And the next one was that they used repeated measures. That is, if a patient had 10 systolic blood pressure readings of 160 compared to the ones that had only one elevated blood pressure reading, the ones that had 10 elevated blood pressure reading were more likely to be treated and more likely to have endogen dysfunction. Hence, this was another limitation that we have in the study. Hypertension is common among medical inpatients. Among inpatients without endogen damage, worse outcomes. Hypertension management is best performed who are hospitalized for non-cardiac diagnosis and have no end-organ dysfunction due to elevated blood pressure. But we need further research warranting to determine the efficacy of blood pressure management during hospitalization among non-cardiac patients. So we have here, choosing wisely is something that we go over in our residency morning report. So this is the one of the topics that I chose from there, that is acute treatment of urgency published in 2018 in the Society of Hospital Medicine. So this the following points that we need to ensure the patient do not have symptoms 
and or signs of end organ damage. We should always search for common causes of treatable hypertension in hospitalized patient. So this could be like pain, nausea, withdrawal symptoms, those are the common things. And you know, a brief examination, review of systems, physical examination, sometimes we may need to get an EKG or a chest X-ray, but this is something that we need to do when we get a call from the nurses saying they have elevated blood pressure. Doubt symptoms and or signs of end organ damage, we should allow for rest and we need to reassess the blood pressure after. IV or immediate acting oral antihypertensive medication to acutely lower blood pressure. We need to address the treatable causes. Consider modifying the chronic oral antihypertensive regimen in patients who are uncontrolled as outpatient or who are not treated as outpatient. And we also need to coordinate early post-discharge follow-up with their primary care for repeated blood pressure evaluation and continued modification of patients' chronic antihypertensive regimen. residents to reduce the use of IV antihypertensive agents in our hospital. So first thing we need to see is to check if the blood pressure was measured properly and accurately. See if there is any evidence of end organ damage. Factors contributed, contributing to the elevated blood pressure. The blood pressure from the patient's baseline, the change in the blood pressure from the baseline. How quickly was the change in the blood pressure and why did it change so quickly? And something that we can really do here to change the practice would be a QI project aimed at, uh, aimed at reducing utilization of IV antihypertensive medication. So coming back to our clinical scenario that we have. 67-year-old man hospitalized for community-acquired pneumonia with a history of hypertension with two antihypertensive medications as outpatient. Though he had elevated blood pressure, we would just continue his current regimen with no adjustment as he did not have any end organ dysfunction and he did not have any new symptoms suggesting the same. So as discussed, giving IV PRN medication or IV oral medication could lead to uh, various side effects, uh, could cause a significant decline in the blood pressure, could cause AKI, troponin elevation, stroke, and contribute to such other things. Yes, right here, sorry. Um, good job, Dr. Balaguli. Uh, very nice presentation. Um, I don't have a question per se, but I do want to say thanks for doing this talk because it kind of affirms for me a couple of scenarios that I run into as an ambulatory physician. Uh, one was we had a lady with who qualified for hypertensive urgency, new to the clinic, had run out of her normal meds, and it was a Friday, and you know we were fa facing whether to send her in versus just get her back on meds and try to reassess Monday. 
Um, so I was glad we actually didn't send her because we got her on her meds and just told her to get a monitor and check, call us over the weekend. And by Monday, she was back to a more reasonable blood pressure. But I think your talk kind of affirms that we made the right choice at that point. Uh, another scenario I see, though, is people still coming sometimes out of the hospital having new meds added. And then uh, they typically come back within 14 days for the transitional care medicine, and we see them with low blood pressure sometimes, not always. But uh, but I, I do also um, uh, want to stress the importance of making sure the follow-up patients get um, back within the two weeks because of the four-half-life rule for most medications. And usually if they're going to get hypotensive, it's going to happen within that first two weeks. So. So it does kind of reaffirm, I think, some of the stuff I see in clinical practice that uh, we need to be careful about adding meds uh, in the hospital that are going to be discharged. And also maybe it reaffirms we can be more assertive in the outpatient setting and not send everybody to the ER. Yeah. So I co-teach the evidence-based medicine course for the residency program, and uh, we discuss the levels of evidence. Uh, there's a pyramid of types of studies uh, that compose that pyramid, and although this is a retrospective cohort study, uh, you need to take into account the subject at hand and how it may not have a lot of research uh, uh, in that in that area. Um, but I, I first heard about this study last year at the Society of Hospital Medicine conference, the regional conference, and it was really it was eye-opening to me. Something I had thought uh, it was consistent with my beliefs that uh, hypertension is chronic and it, it does take time, uh, years, to cause these um, um, major cardiovascular event outcomes that we fear: a heart attack and stroke, and heart failure. So I uh, had always uh, questioned the practice of uh, over-treating blood pressure in the patient setting. So it's reaffirming to me to be very cautious with that uh, and only very certain circumstances, such as acute ischemic stroke um, or intracranial bleed, that we need to be proactive about lowering the blood pressure. Most times, regardless of how high it is, even the 200s, it may not be imminent harm to the patient. There's really no indication to use IV libidolol, IV hydralazine, or PO forms or anything like that. It's uh, it's just a, a call for us to look for underlying causes of elevated blood pressure, get a sense of um, their outpatient follow-up. Are they connected to care? Uh, do they have undiagnosed hypertension that we do need to start treatment in the hospital and have them continue on with outpatient setting and have them follow up with their PCP? Um, so, yeah, is this truly a concerning issue that we need to treat right now or not? Most of the times it's not. So there's a lot of overuse in the hospital setting that I think that can be corrected by becoming more informed of these studies. Uh, and it would be, be ideal. It would be a great topic for a, a QI project. So I hope uh, we do embark upon those in the future. I think there's a lot of potential in our hospital system to do a lot of informative and, and uh, practice-changing research and QI studies here. Thank you. Any other questions or comments for Dr. Balaguli? Oh, right here.
Thank you so much. Great job, Dr. Malaguli. Uh, my question is, do you, I, maybe I missed it, I, um, but is there like a, you talked, for example, in your example, the patient had the elevated blood pressure prior to discharge, but do you do the same thing or have recommendations for patients who have asymptomatic hypertension while inpatient for a course of time? Um, do we continue to just continue the regular medications or is it the same thing? At what point do you do intervene uh, for patients who have persistent uh, hypertension for a course of, you know, their hospital stay, not just a once-time event? Uh, I think the study that I spoke about today did, did check repeated measures, and that's what they found here, that if a patient had 10 blood pressure readings that were elevated, those were more likely to be treated than the patient who just had one or two elevated systolic blood pressure. But still, at the end of the day, this study did find that the treated patients had more chances of having EKI and MI compared to the ones that were not treated. So I think the best thing that we can do would be to check why are they, why is the blood pressure elevated, where they never treated outpatient, if this is a new hypertension diagnosis that we are finding out in the hospital, or if you're just in pain or nauseated or something that could happen in the hospital that could be causing them to have elevated blood pressure. So at least as per the current guidelines, well, I would say not to treat unless they have any end organ dysfunction. So, you know, obviously if they have AKI or MI or if they have a dissecting aneurysm or subarachnoid hemorrhage, those are obviously have specific guidelines for blood pressures and that would be considered hypertensive emergency and treated totally different from what we see often in the hospital. So I think the suggestion would be to just wait and watch recheck after uh, making him rest or anything that you think is contributing to his elevated blood pressure. And like the study also found that if you do change their medication and send them home on like new medications or increase in their home medication, they were like found to have hypotension outpatient. So I think the best thing would be to just tell them to follow up outpatient and tell the PCP to help the medication changes. Any other comments or questions? Thank you, Dr. Balaguli. Great job. Thank you.